Well, let's um, get right into it this morning. And if you have a Bible, I'd like to encourage you to turn to uh, the book of John, chapter 15. John chapter 15, and we'll look at verses 1 through 4. Calling this message today, Necessary Endings. John chapter 15, 1 through 4. And this is what it says. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. Now you have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot bear fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Now this is Jesus talking to his disciples, and he says that he is the true grapevine, that he is the vine, and that we, his followers, are the branches. He says that the father is the gardener or the farmer. And he says that the farmer will cut off every branch that is not fruitful. Every part that is unproductive will be cut off. Now, he's not saying that if you're a Christian, you'll be cut off and no longer be a Christian. That's why he has verse 3 in there to comfort them. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about being fruitful with your life, being productive. And if you're not fruitful, you will be pruned. So, the purpose of the Christian life, we can see very plainly what it's all about is being fruitful. That that's God's will for your life. That's what he's intended you to be, is to be a fruitful, productive person. And in fact, God will not stand for anything less. In fact, he doesn't say that it's one option to be fruitful and productive. He says that if you're not, you'll be pruned. So the second thing we can see from that is that pruning by God is a natural and normal part of the Christian life. So if you're a follower of Christ this morning, you can expect to have some pruning happen in your life. You know, life is full of endings. There are endings all the time in life. We have days that end. We have weeks that end. We have years that end. Thank God 2010 is over. Personally glad to see that one go. Contracts end. Relationships end. And you know, if Bethany Open Bible didn't end, Canyon Ridge would have never been born. And so sometimes for things to be birthed or born anew in our lives, something has to die or to end. For something to grow, something must end. Relationships end. Behaviors end. There's a a group of our leaders and pastors that are 
doing the Life Journal, and it's basically a journal that helps you read through scriptures and you can take notes and study the Bible. And for many of these people, it's very difficult for them to do it. And they'll go weeks and weeks on end without doing any reading or any journaling because to start something new, you have to stop something old. And so they can't do a new behavior because they haven't gotten rid of the old behaviors that prevent the new ones from taking root. So here are three kinds of prunings that you can expect to see happen in your life. The first one is the pruning of good things. Jesus said that he will prune good parts of you, fruitful parts. Now, um, second thing is sick things, and the third one is dead things. And let's go through these. So say them with me out loud. Number one, good things. Number two, sick things. Number three, dead things. Now, did you know that a rosebud, a rose bush, will produce far more buds than it can sustain? And so it'll just producing bud after bud after bud until it eventually dies. And so for that thing to reach its full potential, those have to be clipped off so that those resources are not siphoned away. And the resources can be pulled into the growing one healthy rose plant. So some things in our life, they're good. They're not hurtful. They're not, they don't harm us. They don't harm anyone else. But they need to be removed so that other areas of our life can be fruitful and grow. Sick things. Things that have become sick and need to either be healed or cut away. Often a part of the plant will become sick, and so if the gardener is not able to heal that or repair it with fertilizer and chemicals, then it has to be cut off because it will hinder the productivity and the growth of that plant. And then finally there are some dead things, branches that are dead and in the way and preventing growth, And so they need to be cut off and thrown in the fire. This would pertain specifically to addictions, habits, behaviors, and relationships that we find ourselves in that are dead. You've heard the phrase, it's no point in kicking a dead horse, you know? And yet some people have a dead part of their life and they're continually kicking that, hoping that that will come back to life And it's time to, in fact, move on. So, listen to this. Without pruning, you will at best be average. And at worst, be barely hanging on. Pruning allows for success in your life. So do a quick gut check this morning, just for yourself. Think about an area of your life that you know is unproductive that needs to go. And how does it feel to know that that needs to go? Is that a good feeling? Does that just bring great joy in your oh, oh, that feels good. I'm so excited. I'm going to get rid of that. If it does not, then then you know right there that, that that's an issue. 
that you're not comfortable with pruning, that you're a little bit resistant to it. And you're resisting a good thing. You're resisting success. You're resisting a better future. Let's go into that a little bit deeper. Uh, If you're not experiencing pruning on a regular basis in your life, then something is wrong. Let me share with you some dysfunctional patterns of families, churches, and business communities. You see these all the time. The first one is this. And, and you'll, you'll, you'll know if you recognize this. Uh, we will put up with you no matter how you act because, and blank, you're a member of our family. So we'll put up with you no matter how you act because you're part of the Sims family. Or we'll put up with you no matter how, much, how you act because you're the biggest contributor of our church. We will put up with you no matter, no matter what or how you act because you are a very talented artist in our business and we need that. And so we are unwilling to prune off that which is hurting the body, dysfunctional, because we make excuses for some other reason. Now, I'm not advocating that you cut off people in your family. What I'm advocating is that you prune those destructive behaviors. Just because you are part of the family doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. Uh, In my family, it doesn't matter who you are, how old you are. Everybody has a responsibility. Everybody contributes. I remember when the boys were real little, two years old, we would say, okay, you need to clean up your toys. And even as it is now, the older boys complain about the younger boys because when we pass out responsibilities, the younger ones don't do very much. And the older ones, well, I'm doing all the work. Well, yes, that's right. You're older You're doing all the work. Everybody contributes. So just because you're a part of the family doesn't excuse your rotten behavior. That needs to go. Number two, if you give yourself to us, we will take care of you the rest of your life. It's another similar thing of enabling bad behavior within the family structure. Because you're a part of our family We will take care of you the rest of your life. What does that imply? You don't have to be productive. You don't have to pull your own weight. You don't have to do what you need to be doing. And we'll just let you live in that back bedroom, and you'll sit back there, and you'll eat your potato chips and play on your computer all day long and not be a contributing member of this family. That pattern needs to go. And the last one, we'll take responsibility for your well-being even if you won't. Now listen, folks. Who's responsible for my happiness and joy and well-being? I am. I am. If you live your life being happy and made happy by all the people around you, you'll be a miserable person. Now, I would like my wife to be happy and joyful all the time. But she just isn't. You know, she would like me to be happy and joyful and wonderful all the time. And she'll say to me occasionally, she'll say, you're in work mode. I don't want you to be my pastor. I want you to be my lover. You know, and so I'll have to st- 
start speaking a little softly. You know, oh, I'm sorry, baby. Can I get you a glass of water? You know, she's not going to put up with that. And and if 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 she's trying to find her happiness in me, she's going to be depressed. Okay, so just because you're a part of this church doesn't mean we're responsible for your spiritual health. You are responsible for it. Now, we're here to provide every tool and every bit of equipping we can, but ultimately, it is your responsibility. So when it comes to pruning, there are three basic styles of behavior. And all three of these are laid out in Proverbs chapter 9. I'd like you to just take a look at it real quick. Proverbs chapter 9, it's in the Old Testament. And it lists uh, three basic types of behavior and how to respond to each one. Because you're going to encounter people around you and yourself that need pruning. Proverbs 9, verse 7 says, Anyone who rebukes a mocker, or there's, depending on whatever translation you have, could be fool, will get an insult in return. And anyone who corrects the wicked will get hurt. So don't bother correcting mockers, or they will only hate you. Instead, correct the wise, and they will love you. Instruct the wise, and they will be even wiser. Teach the righteous, and they will learn even more. So here you have, in this passage, three basic kinds of people. And you might want to take notes on this, because this is something that will help you. First of all, you have wise people. He talks about the wise or the righteous. Second, you have foolish people. And third, you have evil people. Now, you cannot treat all three the same way because that doesn't work. All three need to be treated completely differently for there to be improvement or for it to be effective. So, when dealing with a wise person, you know a wise person by their response to correction. When you come up to a wise person, it says, if you rebuke a wise man, he is what? Wiser still, right? So when you come up to a wise person and say, you know what? You're really dropping the ball here. You know, you're making some mistakes and you've got some areas in your life you really need to take a look at. The wise person says, thank you. Thank you. Boy, I appreciate that. I I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to become better. And you've really helped me. And I'm going to make some changes. So the wise person hears the truth and then responds to that truth. They implement that truth in their life. Now, you compare them to the fool. The fool does exactly the opposite. You say to the fool, here, you've made some mistakes. You've got some areas that you need to correct. And the fool changes the truth. He tries to adjust the truth so he doesn't have to make any adjustments himself. Now, this is the kind of person that you you nag, right? You have told him about his rotten behavior 1,499 times, and has he changed at all? No. Because talking does not work with the fool. 
You want to change the whys? You can just sit down, have a nice conversation, and that works. You can't do that with the fool. You can talk, talk, talk all you want, and you're nothing but an egg. He says, what do you say in Proverbs here? He says, don't sit down and have a conversation with the fool. Instead, implement consequences. Put consequences in their way. So you're not going to change? Well, guess what? Until you quit drinking, you can't live in this house. Well, you can't make me leave. Fine, then I'm leaving. And I would be happy to come back and be married to you when you've gone to start or you've gone to AA and you've dealt with your drinking problem. That's putting consequences in front of the fool. And what happens when that happens to the fool is he goes, wow, uh, gee, it kind of stinks to live by myself. I might lose my marriage. I might lose the woman I actually love. Probably the only person in the whole world that does love me. I'm going to AA. I'm going to get help. You see, talking does nothing. And you know that. You have done it for years, haven't you? Now it's time to implement some consequences and enforce them. Evil people. Evil people. How you identify an evil person is simple. An evil person intentionally seeks to harm others. Okay, so all of us have a little bit of these in all of us, you know, a little, at times we're foolish. And, but an evil person is a person who it sets out, their motive is to harm and hurt. Okay, and the way you respond to an evil person is with lawyers, guns, and prayer. All right, have you heard the phrase, talk to my lawyer? That's when you use it, okay? He says, what do you say here in Proverbs? Do you you rebuke an evil man? No. In fact, don't even talk to him, he says. Shun him. Walk away. Get away from him. That's when you use that line, you can talk to my lawyer, don't talk to me. All right? That's when you, the guns part, now that doesn't mean get a gun. You know what I mean? It's call the cops, right? That's when you call the cops or when you get a restraining order or, you know, you get some person of authority that does carry a gun to help you. You see, if you're living with a person and that person is threatening your life, do not sit down and have a conversation with them. Because they're, they're not a wise person and that will not work. Do not try to enforce consequences with that person. Because they're not a foolish person, they're an evil person, and those consequences will mean nothing. When they are an evil person, it is time now to flee. Now, do you completely and utterly cut them off with no recourse whatsoever? No, there is prayer. Prayer. And prayer is powerful. And you can bring their name before God. And I have seen God transform evil people. He can do that and change them and change their nature. Uh, Saul of uh, Tarsus, right? Who became Paul. Who was an evil man. He was out killing Christians. And what happened? He had an encounter with Jesus and he became perhaps one of the greatest Christians that has ever lived. So there is also prayer. Now, to start pruning in your own life, 
and to be able to be a participant of pruning and those that are around you that you are responsible for, you need to have a clear vision. Proverbs 29.18 says that my people perish for lack of vision, but they're blessed when they seek wisdom. So you need to have a vision of a better future out there. Dr. Martin Luther King said this. He said, I see a vision. He had a vision in mind of a better America. He could see it out there. And he said, that's what I'm going towards. And that's what you need to do is you need to chart out for yourself a better future. What does it need to look like? You see, so think of yourself. You've been dating this guy for six months. And you just go ahead and, and just think out, what's it going to be like being married to this guy? What's it going to be like having kids with this guy? And is that the kind of future that you want? You know, what kind of future are you looking for? See that out in front of you. And then make those adjustments that need to be made. There was a, there was a girl that was dating this guy. And, uh, and it was just a, one of those kinds of relationships where it was just hot and cold, hot and cold. And he would make, she loved him. She loved him with all her heart. But he would be, he would turn into a jerk at times. And then she'd find herself in a room crying and hurt. And then a few days later, a week later, he'd call her back and say, I'm so sorry. He'd show up with roses and, and all, you know, turn on the charm. And she'd, she'd fall back into that. And she, she loved him. And then she'd get, get with him again. And in a short period of time, she found herself crying again. And so finally, she just said, wait a minute here. And she got some other ladies around her who could say, listen, this is not the future that you want. You're not going to get what you want with this kind of a relationship. So, so you need to prune this off. Cut this off. And believe God for a better future. Now, there's a lot of fear involved in that, isn't there? And that's usually the reason we don't want to do it, is we don't trust God. We don't trust God with our life and with all of our possessions and with our heart, and that he would meet our needs. And so we settle for second best and often third and fourth and fifth best, and then five, ten years down the road, we're in absolute misery. And so what happened is the next time this guy called her and he turned on the charm and brought over the roses, she said, you know what? I've moved on. I'm not interested. And she changed that behavior so that she could have a new behavior. You know what? She eventually did meet this really terrific guy, and they got married. And as far as I know to this day, they're married and have kids. But she had to end that one in order to have this one. The pruning process always starts and ends with God. Jesus said this. He said in in John 15, we read it earlier. He said, if you are in me, then my father will prune you. You see, that's the key. It begins with making a connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
is connecting with him and saying, Lord, there's an area of my life that is going to lead me down this path of destruction, and I need your help to cut this off. I need your help. I can see in my son and my daughter, and she is heading down this road, and she is she has got these things in her life that are really going to hurt her later. Lord, give me the wisdom that I need to, to, to deal with her in a way that brings about the change that needs to happen. And that begins with Jesus. It begins with prayer. It begins with faith. And so that's what we want to do today is we want to create for you a safe environment, but also a sacred moment. A sacred moment between you and Jesus. Where it doesn't matter what anybody else is saying or doing in the room, but just you and Jesus. And you can take a serious, honest look at your own life. You know that gut check where you just say, Okay, God, I see this in my life. And and I believe that if you're at all open to God this morning, you already know what that is. He's already told you. The minute I started talking about this, boom, it popped up and you knew exactly what it was that needs to go. And if it wasn't something in your life, you could see that it was something in somebody within your family system those you're around at work or what have you. Because pruning is a normal part of life. This is very normal. This is not something bizarre or something that happens once a year. This is something that happens on a regular basis if you're healthy. And see, pruning allows for the growth that is needed. It allows that rose bush to grow beautiful, straight, tall roses by being pruned and cut back in the areas that need to go. So our sacred moment for you this morning is very simple. We gave you a red card. Go ahead and grab it. It looks like this here. It's a little red card. And... It says, Dear Lord, I confess today that I need your help to end blank. And that's where you write it in. In my life that is hindering my growth and health as a Christian. Today, by faith, I nail these issues to the cross that you may give me grace to move on. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. And then you sign your name. And uh, this card is uh, written from the Christian perspective with you know the intent that you are a Christian because it says healthy as a Christian. But if you're not a Christian this morning, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter one bit. All right? So you read that and say, well, I'm not a Christian. That doesn't apply to me. It doesn't matter. It does apply. All right? Because it doesn't matter if you're a Christian, non-Christian. Jesus said, all who are weary and heavy burdened, you know, weighed down with heavy burdens, come unto me and I'll give you rest. It doesn't say if you're a Christian. Okay? So it applies to all of us this morning. So, so here's your sacred moment. If you have a pen, you can fill that out. And then you can fold it, if you like. You fold it in half. And then we're gonna, a worship team is going to come up. If they would come now, it would be great. And then at each one of these crosses, there's a, some pins at the base of the cross. And you just grab one of those pins, and you just go up here, and you nail it to the cross just like that. 
Now, we also have on either side here communion this morning. And so we're going to have our pastors come. Would you come up now? And, and they are going to serve you communion. And to make this a sacred moment, we wanted to combine those two things together. That this, you making this, this, this response to God and receiving communion. And they really go hand in hand. When, when Paul talked about uh, communion in the scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he said that a man, must, a man or woman must first examine his own heart before receiving communion. And that's exactly what we're doing with these little pieces of paper. It's just, just a gut check, just saying, you know what? The thing that you write down may very well be a good thing. You know, it's not a sin. It's not a sin at all. It's a good thing. But you know it needs to go. It's it's siphoning off of the life of, of you. And you know it, it needs to go. It may be an addiction. I don't know. But it's a step of faith this morning to just fill that out fold it in half, and when you come up here to receive communion, you can nail that to the cross.